Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Laura Friedman Williams. Laura is a native New Yorker and a novelist who has written a book called Available, which is an unflinchingly honest, empowering, and humorous true story of one woman's love life after divorce. Laura shares how she rebuilt her life from the dark times all the way through to dating and embracing a full sex life. So I am super excited to welcome Laura Friedman-Williams to the show. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I'm very excited because I know your story will resonate with so many of my listeners who are going through heartbreak and everything that goes with it right now. So please, would you mind sharing a little bit about your story with us? Yes. And it's, it's funny when you say the story will resonate, I always think how unfortunate that so many of us feel this kind of heartbreak, but it is very common. Um, I, I was in a very long-term marriage. I was with my husband for 27 years. We actually met in college. So we were like teenagers when we met and uh, we had three children over the course of 11 years. And uh, when I was 47, I discovered that he was having an affair. He'd been having an affair for about four months and was really actually in love with another woman. Um, this came as a total shock to me. I I felt like my life was just over, like everything I understood about my life and myself and my family was just over in, in the reading of the texts between him and the woman he was having an affair with. Um, and I, I really fell apart. And then over time I built myself back up again. So, you know, the story of the heartbreak, um, is the story of most women's heartbreak, the shock, the rejection, the betrayal, um, just abject heartbreak. And um, and then, you know, climbing my way out of it. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. I mean, my marriage was a lot shorter mm. than it was. I only made about three years into being yeah. married. But finding out your partner is in love with somebody else and doesn't want to be with you anymore out of the blue is absolutely devastating, isn't it? So how did you cope in those early days? Um, it was really horrifying. I think the shock, it, it took me a, uh, quite a few months just to stop feeling shocked by it. And to tell you the truth, it's been four years now. And sometimes I still feel shocked. You know, now I'm not in that state of shock. Actually, um, um, a friend of mine reminded me this morning, she, she said, remember when you had to coach yourself to get out of bed and to walk across the room when that was a big deal for you, when just doing those simple everyday acts were painful for you. And so, you know, I I do remember very vividly what that felt like. I think for a few months, um, I really just cried. Um, I relied on my friends. I, I was just reeling. And at the same time, because I had three children living at home, I really had no choice but to carry on. And I wanted to do it. I wanted to be the mother they had always known. 
so it, it was not uh, conceivable to me that I would fall apart on their watch. So I, I had to sort of keep it together when they were home and I could fall apart when they were at school or when they went to bed. There weren't that many opportunities to tell you the truth. They were really grieving too. And their grief really overshadowed mine for a long time. That was really the focus. Uh, and I think having a focus was great, you know, because I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I don't know why I would have gotten out of bed. It, it wasn't just that I was on my own and that my husband was gone. It was also that everything I thought I understood about the world, my world, my relationships, that was all gone. Mm. And I think so many people will relate to that who are listening this, to this because, you know, sometimes kids are a reason that you have to get out of bed. I mean, yeah. depending on how old they are, my son was only one. And oh. obviously at that age, you know, if I put him down somewhere, you know, he'd be crawling off somewhere. Yeah. And, and so I had to get up. I had to do things. There was no way I could stick my head onto the duvet and just eat chocolate, which is what I wanted yeah. to do. Yeah, that's hard. That's <laughs> yeah. hard. Having a baby is really hard because that's just hard even when you're not heartbroken, having a baby. And for me, it was having teenagers. Two of my three kids were teenagers and my youngest uh, was seven. So it was, that was, and it's very hard in its own way because teenagers are so selfish. You know, they're all, it's all about them all the time. And so like, yes, like they felt so deeply for me, but they also worried constantly about the impact, you know, on themselves and on what this meant for their lives. But it did give me purpose and focus and it gave me a reason to try to pull myself together a little bit every day. But that, that time was very dark. And, um, you know, there wasn't, there's not much you can do when you're in it. I think, you, you know, you can rely on your friends. Hopefully you have, you know, friends that you can rely on. And you can listen to books and podcasts that make you feel empowered. I did all those things. Um, but, you know, it's also just a waiting game. T time heals. And to some degree, you just kind of have to wait it out, don't you? Yes, you do. And I guess in, in those moments of utter despair that you kind of have to make some decisions about how you're going to divorce, because some divorces can be very messy um, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, when someone especially has betrayed you, can be a lot of anger there to process. So how did you manage to get through your divorce and, and keep your dignity? Because I know that's something you talk about in the book. Well, the divorce was a long process. To tell you the truth, I just signed my divorce papers one week ago. So it took us four years to get to this point. I think for about two years, maybe three years, we were just like, you know what, we can stay married. We are um, doing fine. We're, you know, friends and there's really no need for this to change. Like th this arrangement we have, neither of us really are keen to get remarried and this can carry on. Um, so I think that the original forgiveness had a lot to do, what was really just about the affair. It wasn't even all the ramifications of divorce, the financial changes, the changes of home, um, we worked out custody really easily between us. And I, for me, it was a question of, um, it wasn't so much about him or what he deserved. It was what, what kind of parents can I be to my children if I'm angry all the time and I hate their father, number one. What kind of a person am I gonna be if I'm angry all the time and I'm filled with hate and bitterness and rage? And I was really scared of that person because it's not, that's not me. You know, I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not quick to anger and I'm not really an angry person. Um, 
So when I saw that in myself, when I saw that I was really burdened by anger, I felt like I was losing myself. And that was scarier to me than anything. And I felt very deeply, this man can take away so much from me. He can take away the family I wanted, the stability I thought I would always have, some of my confidence, but he can't take the essence of me. I can't let anybody do that. I have to find out who I am underneath all the layers of heartbreak, underneath all the layers of my number of years as a wife and a stay-at-home mom, who am I underneath all of that? So that helped me get rid of the anger the first time because it, it empowered me to say, I'm not who I am based on how he sees me or who I am in relation to him. I have to be myself. That's it, period. I think that's such good advice because, you know, we can get sucked into that sort of emotional roller coaster and lose the sense of self even more so when you're going through a divorce. I mean, how did you manage with not being a wife anymore, although you were still married? So explain how you did that, because being a wife is an identity that we sort of step into, don't we, as, as, a, as a woman? We step into that, we become mm-hmm. a wife. But then obviously you weren't actually going through the divorce process. You weren't trying to sever that at the beginning. So how did you relinquish that identity? It took me a long time. And actually there was a period where I I would say that he was still my husband-ish, you know, because I felt that there were still ways in which we were serving roles for each other that were still very much part of our marital roles. Um, And we didn't know how to stop doing those things for each other. You know, for me, like relying on him for things around the house or the computer or things that he'd always helped me with. For me, continuing to make uh, doctor's appointments for him or remind him that it was time for his checkup or, you know, calling him to say, don't forget, you're supposed to pick up, you know, the child at six o'clock today. Like, make sure you're on time. Don't forget about her. Um, so we were still, I really, it took me a very long time. It was a process. And I I guess that helped a little bit because it wasn't, even though I knew that I was not going to be married to him anymore, that I was never going to have that kind of family structure. We were able to sort of phase out how we were to each other. Um, and now, you know, I'm, it's hard. I I still find it hard. I, I don't, I don't want to actually be anyone's wife ever again. So on the one hand, I feel incredibly empowered. And on the other hand, I still find it really hard because those, the role that I filled for so many years, it's still my natural role to want to fill. And that is very hard to let go of. You know, it's also, it's like, I hear people say this all the time about how much you have to give up control when you hand your children off to their dad. And that is the same, for me, that's the same thing. You know, I was a stay-at-home mom, so I was really the one raising the kids. And now sometimes, like, if my daughter comes home and she says to me, mom, I was up till midnight last night because I'd made dinner. And by the time we went to the store and, you know, homework and inside, I think I'm going to pick up the phone and be the wife and tell him that's not how we work, but I can't, I can't do that anymore. So I think, you know, even four years later, I'm still relinquishing that role of wanting to make things easier for him. And I am learning still how to do things for myself without relying on him to do them for me. Um, I've definitely made great strides. 
I'm definitely getting there. I think I have more to do, but it's, it's pretty much over now. I mean, he's, there's nothing I can really rely on him for anymore because we are, you know, it is official. The divorce is official now. Mm. And I guess if you are divorcing relatively amicably to the fact that he could still come around to your house and help you with some things and would want to, and you would want him in your home, then I guess that is going to be a little bit harder than someone that's just left or has been abusive or unkind or wants mm-hmm. something more to do with you. So I guess letting go in those situations is going to be a little bit harder in some ways because they're still coming and going and you're still relying on them as part of your, your social circle. Yeah. And I think because, you know, my, my goal with the kids has always been the kids have to come first. And early on, a friend said to me, whose parents had divorced when she was young, um, always love your children more than you hate your ex. And those words really stayed with me. And I, I carry them with me every day. So a lot of the decisions, sometimes friends say to me, you need to put yourself first. And I don't think I could live with myself if I put myself first. I, I need to put the kids first and then I can put myself. And I'm, I am in the picture now. I think it used to be that I only worried about the kids. And now I do worry about myself too. And I have a private life. And um, you know, I think that it, that's been very important for me, but it is also important to me that we celebrate Thanksgiving together. We celebrate Christmas together. We celebrate the kids' birthdays together. We still do that. It's important for them to know that we can do that, that they don't need to worry about us. And they worry, kids worry so much. They take on so much concern. They're worried about us being alone. They're worried about us not being nice to each other. They worry about whether or not their dad is financially supporting me. You know, and I don't want this to be their problem. I don't yes. want it to be part of their story. You know, it's enough already. Like we've caused enough damage. Even trying to do it as amicably as we tried, we caused enough damage. So I'm really careful about that. Um, And so I can't cut him out of my life. And it would have been easier, I think, in many ways if I could have, Um, but I I can't. So I do have anger. You know, I feel still like sometimes I feel like I didn't, this isn't what I wanted. You know, I didn't ever, I never wanted to be divorced. I wanted to be married forever. I saw us getting old together. So there are times where I'm with him. I'm like, did you really, was this necessary? But at the same time, this, this is where we are now. And so I try to make the best of it and to embrace, you know, the new parts of my life that I wouldn't have had if we hadn't gotten divorced. I try to focus on those things instead of, you know, I like to say sometimes like, I don't ever, I don't want to define my life by absence, you know, so I don't want it to be defined by the absence of a marriage, by the absence of being a wife anymore. I only want to be defined by what I have. I am myself. I am. Yeah, a I love that. I love that. And I think it's a very empowering way to, to look at a situation. Um, I always, you know, I mean, I'm a big believer that divorce doesn't have to damage kids because actually we, we can't tell right now in the moment. It's difficult. It's tough. It's a, it's a really difficult situation for kids to go through. And obviously everybody handles it differently and every kid handles it differently, as does every couple. And I think it's a big responsibility on the parents to obviously do the right thing, as you were talking about, but also enable the kids to use this as a really valuable life lesson that isn't necessarily damaging, but it's a learning experience so they can go, look, this is what happens if, you know, marriages don't work out. And this is sometimes bad things happen. Mm -hmm. Things don't end the way you want, but actually that's okay because now I'm learning the lesson that 
well, that's not the end. It's not over. There is a happy future afterwards. Look, mum's written a book. She's gone on to create something amazing with her life. And dad's doing similar things in his world and moving on. So, you know, again, I think we have to be careful about how we, you know, what we say in the words we use, because I think kids are very resilient. And yes, it's tough. And yes, it does hurt them in the moment. But it's not a long lasting uh, situation we can change that and we can make it an empowering and, and valuable life lesson as well as I know that you have done for your kids um talk to me a bit about your dating you're talking there a bit about your private life and you're your, your out there yourself so tell us a little bit about how dating is different now because obviously you were with him from a very young age so yeah. were you you know it must be a very different experience now to how it was back then uh, definitely. And also, I just want to say thank you, actually, for correcting me. I, I hate the word damage. And I try not to use it. So when I use it, I'm, I'm glad to be corrected for it. Um, because I don't like to look at anything as damaged goods, we're just works in progress. And we get a little hurt, we're very hurt, we get we carry scars, but that doesn't mean we're damaged. We're just, um, you know, regrouping. And so I, I'm glad you said that, because I think it really changes the way that we can look at our children and, and what we go through, you know, as a family. Um, so yes, dating, well, dating was really strange. Um, I think, you know, my husband and I, he was the third man, like he, he was my third boyfriend and the third man I slept with. And so when I was, when I found myself single, 47, I've given birth to three children, I'm in middle age, I really was perplexed more than anything by what life would look like as a single woman. I couldn't even imagine it. I'd never not had a boyfriend. I mean, from the time I was 16, I jumped from one boyfriend to the next boyfriend to my husband. Um, and we were together from the time that we were in the beginning of our third year of college. And then we moved in together as soon as we graduated, we, we moved in together. So there, there was never a time when I had been alone. I'd never been single. Um, I never lived by myself. And I, I remember the, the first night I went out by myself, it was sort of spontaneous. I, I was like, I have to see what this is. I have to see what this looks like. It was like, it was like turning a movie on in a way to say, this is what people look like when they go out on dates or when they're drinking in a bar or, you know, men and women interacting as grownups. Um, so I just, I, I went out by, to a bar by myself and I just thought I'm going to channel the energy of what I think a divorcee in her late forties would, would do. And so I was kind of coquettish. I was definitely very flirty. I was sort of out of my body. I wasn't even like, I wasn't even there anymore. I felt very much like I was just playing this role and that like, that I was just going to do my best playing the role. Cause I had no idea. And I ended up meeting somebody at this bar and I, I went back to his hotel with him. And it was really my initiation because at that point I was like, I see an opening, I gotta get this done. It was like losing my virginity. I was like, I need to lose my post-divorce post or post-marriage virginity. I have to get this over with. And I knew that it would give me valuable information. I knew that dating was going to tell me something. It was, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was either gonna say, go back to your husband, like make it work you're, you can't be single again, or, you know, find yourself a boyfriend or be celibate, join a monastery. I don't know. Like there were a million things that I was thinking. And, and what ended up happening was that I, I went out, I, I slept with this man. I had a one night stand and I was like, I felt like somebody just plugged me in. 
Like I, I was alive and I was, well, I just wanted more of it. I wanted more. I wanted <laughs> to figure out how a woman at this point in her life dates, um, what kind of men are out there, what kind of opportunities there were for me, what kind of relationships I could have. And so it was like starting over again, really totally starting over again. Um, and I, I loved it. I actually loved it. I blew my mind. I thought I was going to be miserable. I thought I would cry through the whole thing. And I didn't, I, I totally embraced it. Wow. I mean, that's a phenomenal story. And I know people listening will be thinking, gosh, how brave are you to go out on your own and sit in a bar and then initiate conversations and initiate going back to a hotel room for people listening who are a bit scared, like find that maybe way outside of their comfort zone. What would your advice be? Well, first of all, you don't have to go home with anybody. You know, you could just sit at the bar, like even just doing that would have been a victory. You know, even just getting myself out of my house by myself to sit at a bar and you don't have to do it by yourself. It just so happened that I had no one to go with. So I went and, um, I, and I did it on my own. Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one -one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. I think also for me, it was a lot about looking at the alternatives. And I, I thought about the word fear. And a lot of people have said to me, that was so brave of you. And it was, but I was so scared of being alone. I was so scared of what would happen to me if I continued down this path of heartbreak without anything interrupting it that that really, the fear drove me more than anything. So it was, was I more afraid of putting myself out there and possibly being rejected or not being seen? Or was I more afraid of just being sad and alone? And I, and the truth was, I was just more afraid of being sad and alone and of not knowing, you know, I like to know, I like to know what I'm dealing with. So I think my advice for people would just be, um, you, there's no, it doesn't have to be a goal. You know, the goal is just get yourself out there, see what life looks like, be curious, you know, be curious and, and do what you have to do to quench your curiosity. I, that's what started me. It was, I didn't go out thinking I'm going to have a one night stand and, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the town. And it wasn't like that. It was really just like, I'm curious to know what people do when they're single. And so I'm going to, and I'm single now. So I'm going to go be a single woman. And that was really all that I had in my mind. And I, I think it was also for me, and I wonder if a lot of other women feel this way. I felt like I was invisible. I felt like 
I was, I had been someone's wife for all these years and I was part of a package and now I had fallen out of the package. And so I was lost and like, nobody would even see me. I wasn't even, I wasn't recognizable in many ways to myself. And I just felt physically like, why, why would anybody notice me? What do I have that anybody would even pay attention to me? Why wouldn't somebody just fall over me, you know? And so being seen, it was like, okay, I'm here. I have proof now that I'm here. I have proof of life. Um, and that really helped me. So I, I think it's just, you know, I think women, if they can just sort of set their expectations low and just say whatever they do, once they cross the threshold of their own home to go out, that's a victory. That's enough. It doesn't have to be more than that. Yeah, keep it simple and obviously stay in your comfort zone and, and stay safe. But yeah, I mean, being brave. And I love that about being curious because I think that's something that maybe, you know, will reignite that fire and help you rediscover who you truly are. Because I mean, especially after 27 years of, of marriage, like you had, you do lose your own identity as part of that partnership, as you said, a package. I love that. <laughs> Um, and then I also know that you've written a lot about your sex life and that you say that it's mm-hmm. brought you closer to your children. So, I mean, I find that fascinating. Tell me, tell me about that, because with teenage kids and older, you know, how does that how does that work? Well, I, I want to say that before I was um, single, I was very private about my sex life and also n- not very into it. You know, I was not an obvious candidate for like a woman who was going to um, like sow her wild oats. I, I was very settled in my life and, um, and sex was just not a big part of it anymore. You know, it's, I think it's just hard in a long marriage. You have it, but you have it because you sort of have to have it. Um, I wasn't somebody like, I, I wasn't willing to not have sex with my husband, but I also didn't really need it for myself. I was tired and I just really wanted to be left alone most of the time. So I think rediscovering how much I liked sex and how much I liked my body and I felt in touch with my body, but also staking claim to this private life of mine. This was the one place I saw that my kids would not have entry, right? Like if I'm with a man, whether it's for one hour or a night or a weekend, my kids are not involved. That means I'm, this is my private time. This is my private life. I can do whatever I want with it. And it's for me. And that was the way that I, when I say that I put my kids first, I always try to put their needs first, but then there's space for me too. And I felt so actively that I was taking care of myself, that I was doing something for myself. And I appreciated that because I hadn't done that for myself in decades. Um, So eventually, you know, I, I started writing a book and the book was about my sex life and my dating life post-marriage. And I knew the kids were going to know about it. Um, I didn't want them to read it and nor do they want to read it, but I knew that at least I had to come clean about what this book was. And so I had very honest conversations with them about um, my life, my dating, what I wanted, what I needed, um, how I was honoring myself, how I was taking care of myself, how important it was to always be safe and to make sure that sex was consensual. But after that, that there were no rules. The rules are you do what you want to do. And I really wanted them to feel that sex was a great thing in their lives and that anything they felt having to do with shame was gone. 
So it enabled me talking about my own sex life with them enabled me to say, you know what? All those years I was a housewife, I was your mom. And now I, I had a lot of sexual experiences and I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm not gonna apologize to anybody. I'm not gonna apologize to you guys. And I'm not gonna apologize to dad. And I'm not gonna apologize to my mom. It's not, it, I'm beholden to myself and there is strength and power in that. And I said, to, you know, to, to the teenagers, like have sex, be wise, be safe, be smart, make sure it's consensual, use a condom every single time, um, you know, but otherwise enjoy it and, and don't, and lose whatever shame. We all like to have sex. So what, why not talk about it? Why not be open about it? Why not have it on our own terms? And so it. it did. It did really give me an opportunity with them. And with my younger daughter, she was too young, but she's pretty funny. The other day, um, I was looking at this wallpaper that I wanted to put in my bathroom that had naked women in trees. And uh, my younger daughter said, that might look a little weird, mom. Like when my friends come over and they go into the bathroom and there's naked women on trees. And my older daughter said to her, you know what? Mom wrote a book about her sex life. Weird went out the window so long ago. And we all, we laughed and that's just, you know, those are conversations that we can have now and we can laugh about now, you know, now that we've had some time to process it. I mean, I think it's phenomenal because, you know, I think a lot of women would be scared to do what you've done, but it's very liberating. It's very empowering for other women to hear that. Um, in the past, you know, women do have a stigma, I guess, in the past associated to talking yeah. about their sex lives, whereas men don't have that. Yeah, men would be a stud and they would be, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, he must be attractive. He's getting lots of women and having lots of sex. But women does that, then it's seen as a negative thing in a lot of cases. So how do you handle that? How do you think times have changed? Well, I think times have changed and haven't changed at all. You know, I think there's still a lot of judgment um, around sex and a lot of people feel that it's some, it, some, it should be private. Like if you want to do it, you know, so I, I think there's definitely been some reaction of what kind of mother or what kind of woman. And that hurts, that hurts me. I, I mean, I care about what people think. I, I wish I didn't, but I, I do care about what people think. Um, and on the other hand, I feel like, well, the kind of woman that does this is the kind of woman who takes care of herself and does what she wants to do and makes rules up as she goes and they're on her own terms. The kind of mother does this is the kind of mother who is a mother first and foremost, and then recognizes that she has to take care of herself outside of that. And that actually being a mother did not obliterate her womanhood or her sexuality, which for many years for me, it had. So that's what kind of mother and woman. Um, so, you know, the, there is still judgment. I just think that there's also a big movement for women to to be, you know, I think there's a lot more talk for, particularly for women, middle-aged women about menopause, for example, um, you know, and for younger women about postpartum depression, you know, that there are all of these things having to do with um, our inner lives that used to be very hush-hush and very shameful and that now we talk about quite openly. And so I think sex is another one of those things. I think that once you break the seal and you start talking about it, that you realize it's, it's just another thing. It's just another thing we do. You know, it's, it's a private act, 
but so are many things. And we still talk about those, you know, menopause is a private act too. <laughs> Being depressed is a private act, you know, but we, we, we can talk about those things now. And so I think that there is a greater, I think there's really a movement probably much more so than for, you know, like in my mother's generation, my mom is 80 to be able to talk about these things. And I, and I have spoken very openly with my mom and, you know, and it was interesting because her reaction was like, I mean, why is this embarrassing? This is what people do. Okay. Everybody has sex. Why is it something we can't talk about? And I, and I don't have the right answer for that. So I just sort of felt like if I forge ahead and I just keep talking about it and I don't apologize for it, maybe it will give other people the permission to do the same. Absolutely. And I think it will inspire a lot of people. And I, I think that a lot of people will resonate with the fact that, you know, when you were a mom and you were part of the family, that sex wasn't a big deal. It was something that you did. It wasn't something that you needed, as you said. And and then suddenly you're out and you're single. And then that changes. It does change yeah. as you you spend less time being a mom. Maybe your kids are with your ex more time then, you know, maybe they're with you or you're sharing that custody and it becomes, you know, you have that time to fill. You've got to get back out there. You're dating again. You're meeting new people. As you said, you don't want to be on your own forever. But this is the process. It doesn't sound like you're searching for Mr. Right. It sounds like you're enjoying the moment. You're going out there and you're making the most of, of being single. I know you said you didn't want to get married again. So, mm-hmm. So is that, what, what is your attitude to, to meeting Mr. Right? Or maybe it's just Mr. Right now. <laughs> I definitely believe in Mr. Right now. I actually have been dating somebody. It's been three years, which is like kind of shocking to me because I, I didn't want that. Um, and here I am. And I think when we first started dating, I, I made it very clear that I did not want to be in a relationship. And so it was always going to have to be open. Like I'll, I want to date you, but I'm also going to date other people. And that was just a given between us. Um, And as time went on, you know, our feelings grew for each other and it became a little harder because then there's love involved, you know, and there is, and there's a level of commitment. Like you start to meet each other's families or each other's children, friends, and you start to have more of a life together. And so we have that, but I'm still very gun shy. Like he, he gave me a key to his apartment. um, And I, and and I was like, oh, I don't, this that's a lot of commitment. And he said, it's just a key. Like, it doesn't mean anything. You're still, you're free to come and go. That being said, I won't give him a key to mine. So, you know, I think it's, it, we have talked about it and I have been very honest with him. And I have said, if you're looking for a wife, um, I'm not gonna be her. You know, if you're looking for a woman to live with you, I'm not going to be her. I, I want my freedom still. I, I I've never lived alone. And now for four years, I've been living alone with my children, you know, and I'm down to one kid at home now. The others are away at school. And um, I really like my time alone. I really value it. And also I'm not done. I'm not done figuring out what I want in a relationship and figuring out if I even want a relationship. So he is very aware of the fact that I, I may still see other men you know if I choose to and he has to be comfortable with that and if he's not um then he doesn't have to be in the relationship you know that's his choice but I still I don't I really am scared um to be in a you know a very committed relationship that would be hard to walk away from like to live with someone or to be married 
because it's so hard to get out of it. You know, now I know how hard it is to get out of it. And I'm still really relishing my freedom. Yeah, and it's early days, you know. I mean, you only had say yeah. like a year where you were truly single, and then now mm-hmm. you've been in, in this sort of relationship. So, I mean, I think it's great that you're so open, and I think that's the main thing. As you as you go into new relationships, you know, these people that you meet, you've got nothing to lose. It's about being open and just saying how it how it is, not trying to present something that you're not or that you don't want because you think that you should or that's what they want. It's very much. And how you describe is very much on your, you're being honest, you're saying what you want and what you need. And, you know, there's no deceit there. It's just total honesty, which I think is very refreshing. And it's a very strong foundation for any relationship. Um, And I I know that you even had that conversation with your ex-husband, didn't you, about what you were doing and, and how you were dating. Yeah, that was, I mean, I felt awkward about it, but I also felt like he needed to know what the book you know, I, I wanted his blessing for the book. I, I didn't want to embarrass him um, or hurt him. And I also, you know, I'm, I'm still tethered to him in so many ways. So I was really honest with him. And I actually said to him one day, what does it feel like um, when I talk so openly about my sex life and about how full it is now? Um, you know, how many men I've slept with and, and how wide my eyes are, how much I love sex now when that was not part of relationship. What does that feel like for you? And he said, honestly, I feel happy for you. I feel number one, like it makes you happy and I want you to be happy. Um, and number two, it, I feel relieved because I feel like you were so um, broken when we first broke up that for me to see you thriving now makes me feel like I didn't ruin you. You know, I didn't damage you forever. And so there's relief in for me in seeing that you can move on on your own terms. So, you know, we sort of leave it at that. I think that we both, we want each other to be happy. I don't want him back. So I don't care who he's with, you know, as long as they're nice to my children. And I think that he feels the same for me, like whatever I'm doing, as long as I'm, you know, being a good mom, that's, that's really it. There's no feelings of um, jealousy or uh, of trying to keep each other down. Um, do you think that most couples these days are more open about their sex lives and have these discussions, open discussions with their partners? You mean while they're married, like while yeah. they're still in their marriages? Yes and no. I mean, I see from my friends that I think there, there's a lot of, it's just very hard in long-term relationships to you know, usually it feels to me like there's a little bit of an imbalance between one person wants to sex a lot more. And for one person, sex is a lot more satisfying. And a lot of times it's the man, not always. Um, So I I think that they do speak somewhat openly, but I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like women speak very openly with me because I'm so open. So one of the things I love now is if I sit down with a friend, even just an acquaintance, and we start talking about these subjects, they will really open up to me and say to me, I hate having sex with my husband, or, you know, I asked my doctor for hormone replacement, because I just feel nothing now. Um, Or I wish I could go and have an affair, you know, quick, quick affair, and then go back to my husband, because I don't want to be out of my marriage. But like, it sure looks like fun. Um, You know, and, and they tell me these things. So I don't, you know, I think they're open, but there's also like, there's nowhere to go with it. You know, it's, it's very hard to say, uh, what is this besides something that we've always done? 
And how do you reinvent something that you've been doing with a partner for 30 years? It's really hard. I, I admire my friends who do have the conversations, but I find women are, even with each other, you know, unless I like kind of open the conversation, nobody's going to open it with me. I think it's just now it's like anyone feels like I'm just, you know, fair game because I've put it all out there. So there's, they know there's no judgment, you know, and, and they have been open about what my sex life looked like before I got divorced. So, you know, they also feel no shame in telling me that theirs might not be fulfilling or that they haven't had sex with their husband for years. Mm. Well, I mean, I think it's fascinating. So t- tell us, where can people get your book? It's called Available. And where can people get, get a copy? Um, they can get it in bookstores on Amazon. It's um, I recorded an audio version of it um, for the publishers. So it's available on Audible. If anybody likes a, a good Audible um, book, it's available on Kindle. So they can really get it on, in any format that they like to read books. So ebook, audiobook, book book. <laughs> I love it. And also, where can people find you if they want to follow you? You're on Instagram, I believe. I'm on Instagram at Laura Friedman Williams. Um, I'm on Twitter, but not so much. I like Instagram. I like pictures. So I like the pictures of Instagram. I also do a lot of writing on Medium. Um, I write a lot of like sort of blog posts about just, you know, going through the process of, um, of the last few years. I've written a lot of essays about um, sending my children off to college and about embracing different aspects of my single life and about realizations I've had. Um, more, you know, about my marriage now that it's now that it's over. So um, I'm on Medium, also at Laura Friedman Williams, and I'll, I love to hear from people. So if anybody reads my book or wants to DM me or tell me their story or, get, you know, whatever, I, I'll always answer. Excellent. Well, yeah, absolutely. And um, you've been an amazing guest. I know you've given so much insight, which I think would have inspired people because I know that talking about sex lives and being comfortable to talk about it's really difficult. And quite often for a lot of people, that's a big elephant in the room when they're coming Mm -hmm. out of a divorce. So thank you for talking about it, being so open and, and also for sharing your story in your book, because I know that's going to inspire many people just to be curious, like you said before. I have one final question for you, Laura, that I ask all my guests on my podcast. Um, The podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you along the way. So you can tap into it even when you're going through some of those darker times that you talked about earlier. So what is happiness for you? Happiness for me is feeling peace of mind. And I, I really have redefined that for myself over the past few years. I think happiness for me used to be about feeling this or sort of euphoric feeling of like fun. I'm so happy. This is the best, you know, I'm with, I'm at a party or I'm at a family celebration and like, I'm so happy. I feel so full. And now happiness for me is more like, I feel content. I feel peaceful. I'm not fighting in my mind. What have I lost? What am I gaining? Am I okay? I just feel comfortable being where I am like acceptance. And that's really different for me than, than the kind of happiness that I think I used to have. Um, it's just peaceful. My happiness now just means I feel peaceful. I love that. And I think a lot of people going through a divorce or a tough breakup right now will think, gosh, yeah, I want to get to peace. Peace is good. Yeah. what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. You've been a fabulous guest, Laura. Thank you so much for everything you've shared with us. And uh, thank, you. thank you. 
That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to Laura Friedman Williams on Instagram to find out more about what Laura's up to and to get a copy of her book. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness. Happiness.